Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. This week, we have on Antonia Collins. She's a freelance stage manager based in Wales. Uh, Vales of Glamorgan, I believe, is exactly where you are. Uh, Great. But she has experience all over the world. She was the head of entertainment, technology, management, and design at the Hong Kong Academy for Performing Arts, as well as visiting assistant professor at Florida State University. She has her own podcast called Stand By Please with co-host Jackie George, where they discuss what really matters in theater, resilience, hierarchy, burnout, and all the other topics that are not aired in our field. And as if all of that's not enough, she's co-creator for the Bamboo Managers Project, which is a flexible, adaptable, sustainable approach to management in the creative industries, specializing in stage management. This is a lot. And needless to say, Antonia believes in stage management and helping the next generation become amazing stage managers. So we're super excited to have you on the podcast because obviously stage management is my passion. So welcome, Antonia. Thanks so much for joining us all the way from Wales. Yeah. Well, I haven't gone anywhere. Um, I mean, that, <laughs> that is literally the wonder of modern technology, isn't it? That the three uh-huh. of us can can talk like that. I think this is the most amazing thing that's probably come out of this lockdown coronavirus situation is because all of a sudden everybody's realized what we knew all along that you right. didn't really have to be in the same room all the time <laughs> to make things happen. So um, yeah. it's lo- lovely to see you both today. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's morning here for me in Southern California. It's midday for Cindy. Uh, I don't know how your weather is. I think it might be snowing out by Cindy. I've got nice oh, no, sunny. It's you know. today. I don't know what's going on. Oh, yeah, I got blue skies out here, but you know, I live in Southern California. That's normally how I live. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, what's what's it like out where uh, you are in Wales right now? Uh, it is very uh, cold and wet. Um, <laughs> when people, I, so I live in uh, just outside of Cardiff, the capital of Wales. Um, and when people come to Wales for the first time, they always say, "Wow, it's so green and beautiful." And you're like, "Yes, because it rains all the time." <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, we have, you know, considering it's December, we've been on an amazing run of good weather, but not today. Not not today at all. It's been pretty. I went out for a run this morning and I didn't really look out the window before I set mm. off. <laughs> just go, just go. And I got out halfway down the road and was like, no, I need another coat. So I had to come back. <laughs> No, bad choice, bad choice. Yeah, bad choices, bad choices. But I would have just stayed in bed otherwise. Uh, It's not very pleasant currently, but it's it's a gorgeous spot in the world to live. So, um, yeah, yeah, I would highly recommend Wales to anybody. That uh, If anybody gets as far as London, they should really get as far as Wales because it's beautiful. Yeah, we spent four months over there in in London primarily, but we never made it to Wales. So next next time, it'll have to be on our... It's the way. It's the reality. <laughs> to you guys, is like round the corner. Yeah. You know, and I, I think 
Um, Because you mentioned, Cynthia, in the intro, you know, I taught at Florida State University for nine months and I'd been to America a lot. So it wasn't like I had never been to America. So I considered myself to be quite, you know, America savvy. And my friend said, shall we go to Ikea? And I was like, oh, yes, please. That would be amazing. (laughs) Three and a half hours away. And to her, it was like, oh, yeah, we'll just go to, you know, wherever it was, Jacksonville. And I was like. We're going to go three and a half hours to Ikea. And, <laughs> well, and where I live, I, I live quite high up in a building and I can literally see Ikea from my window. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think until you've lived in America, it's very, very difficult to um, understand the the vastness. So when I think <laughs> to my friends, I live two hours away from London, they're like, oh, just down the road. And I'm like, yes just down the road so uh, (laughs) definitely close enough to visit (laughs) it's very true where we grew up we were like three three and a half hours away from las vegas and so for us you know we know so many people who would just go out there for the day you know and how many other countries well who knows you know where you're like i'll just pop over three and a half hours and uh Come not back. at all. Not, uh, certainly not here. My parents live three and a half hours away, and um, we wouldn't normally just pop there for the day. It's not, right. <laughs> it's not a thing. The sense of scale is totally different. I remember saying to some American students once that um, the UK would fit in the state of Indiana, and they were like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah." And now I realise the UK would fit in lots of different states. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, from top to bottom. But, Indiana's um, yeah, it's, not even a big state. <laughs> it's, I think, different, it's just a different way of thinking, isn't it? That's all. Yeah, That's I all. think the UK fits in the county we grew up in, in San Bernardino County. Oh, that can't be. Can that be right? Is it San it's about, 11 hours, about 11 hours to drive from top to bottom, the UK. So... I mean, Florida, it would definitely fit in Florida, surely. Cal- all of California as well, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, we'll have to yeah. look that up. Anyway, so now... <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> geography lesson for the week. <laughs> so all of that, how, how did you start in theater? What led you to, like, literally stage managing all over the world? Uh, right. <clears throat> yeah. That's... Short version. Um, I clearly was a very precocious child. And when I was five, uh, my parents, I grew up in a town that had an amazing rep theatre. And they were really, really well known at the time for doing musicals. So although I wouldn't say my parents went to the theatre a lot, we always went at Christmas to see and there would be a big musical at Christmas. And apparently when I was five, we went to see Camelot that great musical and apparently I came out and I said to my mother I'm going to do that and she was like oh okay and um and so like lots of little girls you know I went to ballet classes <laughs> was definitely not the right size to be a ballerina uh, but you know I I enjoyed it and I was in shows and I guess I was a fairly confident child you know and I had a very very supportive parents And so I was about 15 and uh, there was a local community theatre also where I lived and they had their own theatre, which in the UK is really unusual. Most community groups have to hire a venue to go and 
put on a show. But um, this this company didn't. And I went there and uh, they were like, do you want to do props? And I was like, what are props? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit of a... I was a bit of a history buff, you know, I love history. And I have, think probably have got a lot of natural stage management skills, you know. I was very organized. I was that child that when it was exam season had got all their um revision written out onto cards, color-coded, stuck on the wall, you know. And I think I came to props and then I realized there was a whole world of stage management there that just kind of sang to me in terms of what I was good at. And I'm a bit of a bossy person. And um, I didn't want to use the C word for control freak. Do you know what I mean? I try and avoid that. But um, I've always been the, I was the kind of child that, you know, was the school prefect and, you know, lined people up in the schoolyard. That was kind of, we had a bell. We literally rang the bell. It wasn't electronic to, um, to change classes, you know, and I was the bell ringer. So I think <laughs> that sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, so I think I just had a lot of those skills naturally and by joining the community theatre group, I realised there was a whole world out there where I could actually do it for a living. And I realise now that that was actually very lucky, privileged, if you like, because so many people don't discover stage management. They only come to it in, in later life, you know. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was 15, I kind of, 16, maybe I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, so in the olden, ye olden days, before we had the internet, um, I went and got a book out of the library that was about courses at universities. And I really, really wanted to go to this uh, great drama school in the UK. And I went for an interview and I was 17 and I went for an interview and they said to me, you're too young because you finished school at 18 in the UK. And she said to me, go and get a degree and then come back and do our two-year programme. Well, I was way too impatient for that. There was no way I was going to go and do a degree for three years and then go back. And I found another drama school um, that was kind of like um, a hybrid. So at the time, there were like the drama schools, and then there were like university courses that were kind of like a drama school, but weren't really a drama school. And I got a place there, and I just thought, yep, I'm going to go and do it and get on with it uh yeah there was no way I was I've always been impatient that might come up again um (laughs) but also I knew what I wanted to do I loved it I by that point I'd done some good shows and I'd done some awful shows so I kind of knew that doing it professionally wasn't just about enjoying it do you know what I mean I think Mm -hmm. I think there's a difference there for me um between having it as a hobby and doing it professionally. And I'd already discovered <laughs> that some shows were terrible. So and I still <laughs> wanted to do it. So I think, yeah, for, for me, all of that come together. So by the time I was 18, I was just ready to go and get and literally kind of crack on. I did not want to wait any longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I was at university and then I left university. And at the time, um, equity works a little bit different in the UK than it does in America. Uh, But at the time, actually, it was more similar. And you had to be given your equity card. And I was very lucky to be offered a job in a rep theatre where they gave me my equity card. So it's equity in the UK is no longer 
um, a closed shop. You don't have to be a member to work um, on any show in the UK, but you did then. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the <laughs> dissimilarities. Is that a word? Uh, it's one of the differences between the two versions of the union. Um, and I went there and I had a great time. And, you know, I worked with some brilliant, brilliant stage managers there. And then I got headhunted by an opera company uh, because I was a score reader. And being patient, see, being impatient again, uh, I rushed off to do another job. And and then I, uh, we'll probably get onto this, but, you know, the, stru- the, stru- the structure of stage management is slightly different in the UK. So I was an assistant stage manager and then I was a deputy stage manager who is the person who calls the show. And then I moved on to be a stage manager because, again, somebody offered me a job and I was like, yes, 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 I'm going to go and do that. That would be one of my top bits of advice to students is don't rush as much as I did. Um, oh, no. And um, and. <laughs> you know got to a point where I was a bit like oh what am I going to do now you know as we've established with our geography conversation (laughs) the United Kingdom has a lot of theatres in it I mean it really really does but I've been to all of the big ones I've been you know the touring circuit I'd done it and I remember being in a shop um uh, it's like a department store Marks and Spencers Mm -hmm. and Yes, yes. All oh, people nodding. They all look the same. All Marks and Spencers look the same. And I was in Marks and Spencers and I just thought I've got no idea what town I'm in. I don't know where I am. And I remember running outside and I was in Stratford-upon-Avon. I was like, OK, it's Stratford this week. OK. <laughs> <laughs> But I literally kind of, and so then I took a job in a production company because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Um I told you it was a long story. Oh, I promise you, this is the short version. No, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Then I had a baby. Hmm. Now, I'd like to start this because he's no doubt going to listen to this. Thomas, he changed my life. He's amazing. He's a stage manager too, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I realized uh, two things very quickly. A, that... Um, having a baby and working in theatre were not a dynamic combination. Now, bear in mind, this is 1996. So people were very unchild friendly at that point in time. And unfortunately, I split up with his father. So I was a single parent. So that was a bit of a double whammy of things going on at that point. And I was a bit like, I don't quite know what I'm going to do next. And I bumped into somebody I knew, literally bumped into them. And uh, I'm going to edit what I say next and make sure that I do not swear. He said to me, gosh, you look terrible, Antonia. And I said, that's not quite what he said. And and I said to him, wow, thanks. Yeah, right. Great. And he was like, what's going on with you? So I told him what was happening. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage. You know, I've got no idea what's happening. And he said, come and work for us. And I said, what do you mean come and work for you? And he taught at what is now the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama, uh, which I then went to teach at. And he said, come and work for us on a freelance contract. I'll give you 12 weeks work. You can supervise some students on shows. And I said to him, yes, thank you. Um, But equally, I wasn't sure you know I'd got in that I got in my mind that thing um that she who can does and she who can't teaches you know yeah yeah Yeah. and I was like "Mm -mm -mm." well I'd been there about a week and I was like it's okay it's okay it's fine it's fine it's fine 
And um, the students were doing a tape out. See, I'll do a translation for you, not a markup, a tape out. <laughs> and um, oh my God, it was going on forever. Like it was a really small studio and this tape out was literally going on forever. <laughs> and, and I knew it was in the wrong place. I knew it was in the wrong place. And I thought, just let them do it. Just let them do it. Just let them do it. And we got, they finally did it four hours later. He finally did it. And um, I said to them, should we look at the plan again? Because you can see, if you look at that and you look at this and you look at the floor, it's not quite in the right place, is it? And, you know, directors come in, directors come in, time oh. is different. And I said to them, right, and they were all like absolutely mortified. And I said, shall we just literally, and we just, it was like a set of, um, a set of stairs. And I said, shall we literally just pick up the corners and we'll just shuffle over and we'll stick it back on the floor again. <laughs> And they were like, oh, and in that moment, I realized that I did know more than they did. And I, was like, oh, I think I'll enjoy this. And actually, that turned into such an amazing journey. You know, I discovered that I love teaching. Um, you know, oh, my goodness, the incredible students that passed through there. And it was a really, really exciting time to work there. Consequently, there was a full time job. Um, and I thought, well, I might as well go for it. You know, why not? It was a real land of opportunity. You know, every single thing they um, helped you do your teacher training. Wow. They, yes, yes. So, and then I was promoted, and I took on this extra role of being head of learning and teaching um, for the institution. And there were just lots and lots of opportunities. They sent me to America, to USITT, to recruit. And that was the, the first time I'd ever been to the States, really. So it, it really was an amazing thing to be part of. And then um, they had a lump sum of money and we were able to build a new venue. I mean, it's beautiful now. It didn't always look like that. <laughs> it's beautiful. Now. Um, and yeah, it was just so... I was like, no, this is brilliant. But actually, the really great thing about that job was every member of staff, every type member of full-time staff had an allocation to do what was pro properly called research and scholarly activity. And if you'd have been like an academic who wrote papers, that's what you would have done. But for us, that meant we could go to work. So obviously going to do theatre shows was problematic kind of timing-wise in terms of the curriculum. But I started to do a lot of large scale events. So I did, uh, by the time I, while I was working, I was show calling a lot of large scale, uh, mainly golf events, actually. Uh, I know a lot about golf. It's one of my specialist subjects now. Um, but it was great. And it like, you know, and every time you go and do something, of course, you learn more knowledge and you can bring it back to you in the classroom. And I, you know, did a great production of Sunset Boulevard out in Ireland. Um, and, you know, I did all kinds of things. If, if, as long as they didn't take up too much time, as long as they didn't take me away too much, then I could go and do that. Um, and then in 2014, so I was there a long time, got married again, had another baby. Um, and then in 2014, I got asked if I wanted to go and do five months at the Hong Kong Academy for Performing Arts um, as an interim head of department and I just knew that I was ready to go and do something different and I got on really really well with the principal at Welsh College she was amazing she's an amazing woman and I walked in her office and I kind of got halfway through the statement and she was like go just go <laughs> you know you'll you'll never forgive me if I don't let you go and I was like okay, thanks and that I, 
anybody had ever been on sabbatical before, ever, because it's a tiny school, you know, I, I don't think that had happened. Um, but she knew I was going to go anyway. And then I got offered a two-year contract. <laughs> then we um, we went out there for two years and then we came back. Then I decided at that point that I wanted to get back into practice full time. Um, I was also completing um, a master's in digital education. Uh, no doubt that will come into a conversation later. Um, and I just thought, no, I want to go and do more practice again. And then I got for the job at Florida State, which was such a curveball. You know, that was like beyond weird. I came home and I said to my son, I've been offered a job in America for nine months. And he was like, what? They couldn't find an American. <laughs> <laughs> they had to go search in Wales for somebody to come to you. I know, right? I was like, yeah, bizarrely. Um, but I think, uh, so I got asked, I got asked about that job through a connection at USITT. And I think actually what we were just looking for was bucket loads of energy. Um, the department had been through quite a tricky time and they just wanted somebody to come in and go, right, come on, let's let's get on with it. And I was really worried that the students would be like, who is this English woman? What on earth is she doing? But actually, because they'd had a really difficult time, they sort of didn't really care that I didn't know very much about American stage management. That was highly irrelevant. It was <laughs> it was just having having somebody to be on their side and having somebody, you know, in tech to go, mm -mm, no, that is not happening. We are not doing that. Uh, it was just, it was having somebody to, to speak up for them. And I had an absolutely wonderful time there. I really, really did. But I knew it wasn't for me to stay. And I sort of felt that would also be inappropriate. I was like, there are plenty of American stage managers who might like to move into teaching. And um, and we found a wonderful, amazing one, Casey, who has uh, taken over there and is doing incredible work. So it was absolutely joyous. Uh, but I knew it wasn't it wasn't forever. Uh, and then I came back here and then carried on stage managing. Who I think that. <laughs> yeah, I you barely leave Southern California on my job. Cindy goes across the country, but uh, you went from Hong Kong to Florida in like no amount of time. <laughs> I like, did. Halfway I did. around the world. One of the, well, apart from being quite impatient, eh, Stacey, one of my other um, bad traits is the fact that I'm not very good at saying no. So <laughs> we have that problem when, too. When people ask me things and I think, oh, that sounds interesting. Oh, oh, yeah, go on. And like my husband was like, what's the worst that can happen? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, just go. And I, I really, for a long time, I'd been digging into the differences between American and UK stage management. Um, because when I taught at Welsh College, we were recruiting young American students. And I was very conscious of the fact that I knew we weren't quite giving them the education they required if they were going to go back and work in America. And I think I have to be a bit careful what I guess I say now because I don't want to be sued. Um, but <laughs> I don't work for it. I work for myself now. It doesn't matter. Um, but I think... If you're a master's student, and I, you know, but I've said this out loud loads of times to people. If you're a, if you want to do a master's course and you've already got a good grounding in American stage management, and maybe you've been working for a bit, and you want to come and do a master's course just because you want to be in the UK, brilliant, great, 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 great. But don't come as an undergrad. I just, 
it is quite difficult. It, diff not difficult, different. And I think a, a lot of undergrads then struggled when they went back to America, I think would be the honest the honest answer. So yes, all good. If you want a year in the UK, brilliant, come and do a master's course. That's that's fine. Because you'll be able to do the translation because mm -hmm. you already know how American stage management works. Um, but yeah, I, I've had a lot of conversation with students, ex-students about it now. Um, but I will tell you that on the first day at FSU, I was like, can somebody tell me where the library is? Because I need to go and get a copy of Lawrence. Is it Lawrence Kelly? No, not Lawrence Kelly. Um, so what Lawrence, is the Lawrence Stern or Thomas Kelly? Yeah. Oh, well, all of them. I went to the <laughs> library and got all the American stage management books out because I was like, okay, right. And of course, the great thing about teaching in person in a university is you only have to do one week at a time, isn't it? Right. <laughs> So true. <laughs> like I have time to prep for next week. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. What are some of the huge differences? You you mentioned that the the titles are a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, uh, you see, I've caused trouble for myself now by saying they're huge. I one of the reasons I was interested was because a lot of people had said to me, "Why don't you do some PhD research on the differences between them?" And for a while, I thought that was a possibility because at face value, there are a number of differences. So first up, there's the job roles. So you've got um, in the UK, you've got an ASM who is mainly responsible for props. We don't tend to have props departments here anymore. So you don't get given props. That was an amazing thing about FSU when the <laughs> props master arrived with a box of props. And I was like, this is incredible. Um, <laughs> I loved Kevin. He was amazing. Um, but you, so you have to, you know, you have to have quite a lot of designery skills actually to be an ASM in a lot of ways. Then we have the DSM who um, sticks like glue to the director and goes to every rehearsal and calls the show and that's their job. And then you've got the stage manager who runs everything backstage and works alongside the ASM and runs, um, you know, scene changes. And then you've got a company manager who in the UK is a member of the stage management team and they're <laughs> responsible for the welfare of the company in that sense. And quite often the scale of work I tend to do, uh, the stage manager and the company manager role is blended together in as a CSM. So I might do some scene changey things, depends how busy the show is, but I'm also responsible for getting the company to their press and publicity calls, you know, calling the physio, those kind of, those kind of things. Uh, of course, there's lots of terminology differences um, but they're minor, you know, you, you get over them. You, you're like, oh, places, what does that mean? Oh, beginners. Right. Okay, great. You know, you kind of, you know, the, the, the ones that caused me the biggest trouble, and I've told this story a lot, uh, was the ordinary things, just the ordinary everyday things. I stood in the stage right wing of Florida State University one night as we were uh, closing it down, shutting the theatre up for the night. And I said to the ASM, have you got a torch? I swear to God, we looked at each other for a clear 30 seconds. <laughs> um, I've no idea what you mean. Because I was about to switch the workers off and it was going to go dark. Yep, flashlight. <laughs> She literally thought I meant like a flaming torch, you know, and I was like, a torch, Gabby, a torch. And she was like, 
I don't know what you mean. And anyway, <laughs> we got there in the end. And then the other one that the other one that always tricks me up is um what I would call a plaster, a band aid. Mm. That was plaster. another classic moment where a friend and I, I looked, a friend and I looked at each other literally face to face for about ten minutes, and she was like, "I have no idea what you're talking about, Antonia." <laughs> but I do think though. So I think some of it's easy, but I'm not sure it's easy when you're a student. You know, I think it's easy if you're a professional and you've been working and you can work out the differences. But there is something that's in the middle that's a bit mushy. That's about do you as a member of a stage management team, do you see yourself as part of the artistic team or do you see yourself as part of the technical team? And I think I think in the UK, we're still in that mush somewhere. <laughs> we haven't mm-hmm. quite worked out. You don't tend to have a technical director in the UK. So um, you've got a production manager, but you don't sort of have that TD role. So I take on a bit of that as well. And then there's a carpenter. So again, that's where it gets a little bit messy. Um, I certainly uh, was conscious at Florida State that I knew much more technically than the students were getting for for sure for right. sure especially right. about flying and rigging and those kind of things yeah we um, don't get any education really in the united states about that and i even went to a school that had a lot of like we had a whole department that took care of that you know and yeah 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 so whereas here that is very much in some stage management skills and like i say you know there's no there is absolutely no straight answer to any of this and as you guys know every theater company is different every Mm -hmm. show is different right but until very recently if you'd have said to me as a stage manager are you a member of the creative team or are you a member of the technical team i wouldn't have really been able to give you an answer and I don't know whether I still can we don't tend to do we don't do artistic maintenance in the same way that a PSM would do because on a big show you'd have an assistant director or an associate director that would do that kind of work um back in 2009 in fact the first time I ever came to America I got sent to America on a to help a member of the acting staff run auditions Clearly, they thought she needed help. She didn't. She was totally fine. Um, but well, you got to come to USA to team. So yeah, that's awesome. That's right. And, and also, I was just like, I just thought, well, if they're going to send me to New York for seven days, I'm just going to exploit every contact I know. And somehow, through a friend of a friend of a friend, I managed to get myself an invite to Wicked. And nice. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went to meet Mary Beth Abel and um, Jason Daunter was the caller that day. Um, and I was amazed that she was giving like acting notes. I was like, what is she doing? What, what, <laughs> why, would you, why would you possibly do that? Um, so I realized, and the fact that she had her name on the poster outside, I was like, mm. Wow. That I mean, that has only just started to creep in here in the last couple of years, really. Um, so I think that's really at the heart of the, uh, you know, it, it's kind of more of a psychological difference, maybe, <laughs> than the, the ordinary stuff, you know, we have a laugh about, but you can normally work it out. Um, but whether which camp you belong to um is is an ongoing that that's a journey we're still going on 
p.m. I, for sure. I feel like we are here too. And, and the more conversations I have with stage managers in different areas. So in theater, I think it's a lot more of the artistic. Like you said, the stage manager can give staging notes and stuff like that. In opera, similar to the UK, in opera, we have the assistant director. And so as a stage manager, I would never give a staging note because that's the assistant director's job. Um, in dance, they fall more in the tector or in the technical category because they're not there through all of rehearsal. You know, they just show up at the theater and so and they know the set really well. So then they're considered more of the tech category. So I feel like every time I differ, talk to a different group of stage managers, it's it's all a little bit different. And so I think we're having a lot of those conversations over here as well. And in fact, Cynthia, that's what you've just reminded me of, that when I first saw American stage management, it reminded me the most of opera stage management. That was, and of course, I'd come from an opera background myself. So I was a bit like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, you know, so I think, mm -hmm. but, I mean, that's at the heart of it, though, isn't it? Is that I think anybody who wants to be a stage manager, you can't just say, right, I'm going to do it this way. And this is the only way that I'm going to do it. You know, we've always done it this way. Are like the worst words you could ever say to me. Yes, um, yes they're my <laughs> least favorite words. I hate them. <laughs> right? And like, I'm actually, re I love all the technology and the way in which it's changed our world of work. You know, I am gung ho. If I can't do it in Google Sheets, I am not interested. You know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it's amazing how not everybody feels that way. So, you know, whereas I think we have to be lean and nimble and evolving, you know, probably like you guys, I've done quite a bit of stage managing on Zoom over mm -hmm. the last few months, which is something I thought I'd never do and started out going, well, I don't know whether I want to do that. And then last Friday, I'd got two laptops running, an iPad at this and <laughs> Apparently, I'm doing it now. So, um, yeah, no, but isn't that why we got into it? I, you know, I certainly got into it because I love the challenges that it mm -hmm. brings and the fact that every day is different. Literally, yes. you just never know. You think you know. <laughs> you think you know. Uh, as a stage every manager, it's your job to try to be like, this is what we're doing today. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Um, and I, you know, I love people. I am, you know, a classic people person, and I like learning about people and hearing all about them and finding out about them. So yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want it to be the same every day. That would definitely be the wrong career for somebody that mm -hmm. wants that that kind of world because it's not like that. <laughs> I actually talking to. A a lighting designer friend of mine, because we've now done three shows together, three seasons together. And it's the same company, but every year we keep like changing venues. And I was like, you think we would stay in the same venue so we know what we're doing? And he was like, yeah, but then we'd get bored, Cindy. So it's kind of nice to change venues every year, even though it's stressful because you're like, I just figured out what this, you know, how this crew works and how this lighting setup works. And then all of a sudden we change. And so I was like, no, you're right. I'd get bored if I had to do the same thing all the time. So yeah, that's what I... That's what I tell people, like, I do theater, but I never, you never do the same show twice. You never build the same sets. You never work with the same people. You never have the same schedule. Like, if I had to work Monday through Friday, nine to five, I'd probably go crazy. Like, what, <laughs> yeah, what, what yeah, do you I, do with the rest of your time? <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Uh, that's what I always think. Um, when you see jobs advertised and they say there are, you know, 40 hour working week. 
And I'm like, well, what do you do from Thursday lunchtime? I you know. <laughs> um, right, that's half of my week. Now what? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But like last year, I did a job, tiny company, four in the cast. You know, we played it in Cardiff, a new piece of new writing. We played it in Cardiff and then we played it in London. And it was a joy. It was a joy. It was a lovely job. And it wasn't particularly taxing in any way, shape or form. Um, but every day was different still because different people had different requirements and different things happened. And, you know, I think that's that's the joy of it for me is just slightly the unexpected, though not too unexpected. You know, yeah. I wasn't really planning for coronavirus. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I think it <laughs> we're, in it. we're in it. It's happening now, isn't it? So there we go. Um, and unfortunately, they won't let stage managers be in charge of it because I, I can. Know, know. It would have been done already. It would be done. We'd be like New Zealand and we'd be open again. So. It would be totally sorted, wouldn't it? Totally. Yeah, well, at least you guys in the UK are doing better than Americans. Americans are just like fucking up the rest of the world. Like, screw you guys. We're going to just keep getting worse at this. Well, and you did give us the greatest distraction ever from coronavirus because of your election. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, you, maybe. I don't know about that. <laughs> it gave us something else to talk about. Honestly, we were grateful. Um, but yeah, no. Well, I don't know whether we're doing any better, Stacey, to be honest. I... It goes up, it goes down. It's really difficult to say. We certainly don't have a grip on it. <laughs> well, in, in California, um, we have every day in the last three days, we have hit a new high of deaths. Great. Yeah, it's not really the kind yeah. of thing you want to be winning at, is it? No. <laughs> yeah. So I no. think like two days ago, we, the third highest death in one day, only second to like Pearl Harbor or 9-11. Oh, I saw that on um, Instagram, somebody yep. posting. That, yeah, that was crazy. And Absolutely that's just crazy. California. So yeah. I'm pretty sure we are like succeeded in being the worst currently. <laughs> so I guess we will continue to do Zoom productions for a while. Exactly. Everyone just or... stay in your house. Stop causing Drive. problems. The rest of Drive us want to get here. back to work. <laughs> I think I think we will as well. You know, we've got some shows reopening, but it's very small because mm -hmm. of um, the numbers that people are allowed to have in the theatres. So it, it it's little pockets, it's little glimmers. Currently, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. exciting to have some glimmers. But yeah, I think I'll be sat here stage managing for a while yet. Uh, but that's that's okay. It, it is it is what it is. I. You know, we can't. We actually can't control it this time. <laughs> we, yeah. we we all find a way to adapt, which is what I love about our profession. You know, in the beginning, we were all like, "This is horrible. We don't know what we're gonna do." And within a month, we're like, "Okay, this is how we're gonna take care of it." You know, like we went through that phase of post show blues, and then we just picked it up and we're like, "Now this is how theater is gonna work for a while." So we were literally about to go into tech. I was literally about to tech a new musical on the day it was announced that we were closing. And um, that was a that was a weird day, you know, as we kind of yeah. walked around going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And right. then the prime minister made an announcement that included the words and theatres. And we were like that. Oh, right. OK. okay. Right. So, um, and so we packed it up and we went home because that's all that you could do. So but was quite disappointed because tech is absolutely my favorite part of the process. So I it was a bit like. Damn it. <laughs> I've already went through all the rehearsals. 
Tech is what? definitely my sweet spot. And I was like, oh, that's what I do the other bits for so that I can run a tech. But no, not on not on this occasion. So yeah. why is it your favorite? Because it's it's my favorite too. And so many stage managers I talk to, it's all of our favorite. But what is it that you love so much about it? Oh, because it's our turn, isn't it? Uh, you know? yeah. I like yeah. We've been sat in rehearsal, we've been planning, we've been putting schedules together, we've been making paperwork, all of this. And then we get to put the bits of the jigsaw together. And uh, my favorite, I mean, obviously, see, in the UK, as a stage manager, I would run the tech from the stage. So because my DSM will be out in the auditorium with the director and I will run, I will wrangle from the stage so my favorite is a musical where you've got you know an orchestra in the pit and you've got lots of performers on stage and I just I, I it's like a game isn't it it's like a big yes. game you know? puzzles exactly how I describe it too all the yeah. time you have all these pieces and now you're like and now how do they all go together hey I know how they end up but I don't know how they go together and I I love it I I work with one particular director quite a lot and I love it with him because we've made a plan we've got a battle plan and it's like come on it's it's literally like a we can do hard things let's go <laughs> and um yeah no that's definitely definitely my favorite bit of the process it's not necessarily the healthiest bit of the process <laughs> but I was gonna say, it's usually the most stressful it's the one where you want to tear your hair out the most it's the one that makes you cry the most and then it's the one that you're like now let's do it again because that was so much fun that's that's what we all kind of live for. Yeah, almost every I know that's just that's the most exciting part. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just seeing it all come together and you know see whether the things that you thought work do work or mm-hmm. no. That scene changes a car crash. Let's <laughs> just. <say. laughs> sometimes you know going into it as well. You're like, okay, this one's gonna suck for a while. This yeah. is gonna be hard, and then we'll figure it out. <laughs> It's going to take a while. Um, but no, I I like that part of the process. And then, and then of course, you know then that you're on this great journey towards opening and that uh, and then you get to run it. And that I find that quite frustrating when we don't run it for long enough, you know, if it's only a short mm-hmm. run and mm-hmm. it's a complicated thing and you're just like, oh, I've just got it. And, just, <laughs> and now it's over and I'm like that oh that's that's not quite so fulfilling but um yeah well, it's no. like opera what do you get like two to four performances usually in opera you know and I'm like I just got comfortable with this sequence one more time and it would have been perfect and I don't get that one more time you know that's what I yeah, miss about yeah. previews where you get to like work through it but yeah and then you're, you're not getting another shot at it <laughs> <laughs> see for me nope. For me, I as the technical director, I don't attend performances. Once the show's open, I'm like, oh, they either got it or they don't got it. Like, can't do anything about the scene change now. I'm just going to see how it goes. And so tech is putting all the pieces together, make it good. And then I'm like, okay, bye. See you at strike. <laughs> so I, tech I week is the good. only week I actually physically am on stage with all the people doing anything. And I think that's, you know, to what you're describing there would be a production manager's role, Stacey, in the UK. So they would feel exactly the same way about it. By the time we get to tech, they're sat in the auditorium waiting for me to call them or hoping that I won't call them. (laughs) Right, this does not work. Can we sort this out? So, um, but yeah, as a stage manager in, in the UK, I would spend quite a lot of time on the scene changes and, you know, making sure all of those elements work together. They're very much in my 
in my domain, you know, so, uh, but no, I love it. That's the, that's the best bit. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What is, I don't want to run out of time before we oh, talk well, about you know, I must tell you about why I started the Bamboo Manager Project. Yes, that's, yes. Yeah, that's kind of a big one. And it's a great, <laughs> so the logo you. is amazing. I love your logo. Oh, thank you. Thank you. A friend of mine uh, created that for me. So, right. Before, <laughs> before all the social media and everything, and before we had all these amazing ways to connect together, I was sort of like an advice shop and students would text me or phone me and say, oh, Antonia, this problem's happened or that's happened. Any, could you help me? Can you offer me any advice? And my husband would say, when do they ever leave? And I said, never. I said, I think we've just done a long bit of elastic, really. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you just keep gathering them every year, just more and more. Yeah, 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 you do. And, uh, and I love it. I love that. And I was like, I was coming to the end of the time in Hong Kong. And I knew that I was going to go back into practice. And I was like, could I set up something that would be like a network for stage managers? That what, you know, I belong to the Stage Management Association, belong to Equity. But I was like, just a kind of advice shop sharing thing. And years and years before, I'd been teaching a group of master students and we were coming up with one line of advice that you would give to a young stage manager. That was the task. And we had this great American student and she said, she just sat there very wisely and she said, be like bamboo. And we all went, ooh. And she said to me, you can have that as the title of the book when you write it. And I said, <laughs> And I said, oh, why? Go on, you know, tell her what's up. And she said, well, you know, you should be flexible and adaptable and you need to be sustainable in your practice, but you need to be sustainable in your health and yourself. And I was like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. So wow. I knew straight away that if I was going to start anything, it was going to have a bamboo element to it. And, of course, I'd been in Asia and I loved it so much. Well, Google told me very quickly that Be Like Bamboo is not a name to set up a business with because there were lots and lots of be like bamboo things. And so we kicked it around for a while and I said to my husband, I'm going to call it the Bamboo Manager Project. I'm just going to start it on Facebook and we'll see what happens. And he was like, okay. And it was never an idea to um, make any money out of it. It was literally just a kind of way to help connect people together. And so that's what I did. And um, at the same time, I was doing a master's in digital education that was fully online. And I'd always been quite involved in online education. And when people had said to me, oh, you can't teach stage management online, don't be ridiculous. How could you possibly do that? I kind of kept thinking, oh, I'm sure there's something else in this somewhere. And, you know, it was an idea where I would go back to it and I'd park it again. And then I'd be like that. Oh, no, you know. Anyway. But doing my master's really kind of ignited that passion. And then I did the, <laughs> the incredible job at Florida State. Um, and we used quite, they were, they were pretty, um, you know, they, they were using a lot of digital education there as well. Not necessarily in my courses, but it was very prevalent. And I had a lot of really doing my own research, had a lot of really good dialogue with people about why they used it and how they could use it and that kind of thing. And I came back home and so right back home from America. Um, and uh, I said to my husband, do you think you could build a website? And he was like, probably, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he, um, 
he's a sound designer and so he's quite IT literate in that sense you know used to using digital program stuff anyway two days later he'd made me a website and he said well I've made you a website there you go and I was like great I've got a better plan and he's like oh lordy (laughs) (laughs) gotta let her not go off to a different country she comes back with crazy (laughs) ideas that's right. I said, I we're going to start a online stage management program. And he was like, okay. And I said, I can do all the teaching bits. I said, I'm totally confident at creating the content online. I, I use a platform called Canvas. Um, it's my favorite VLE. It's so user-friendly. And I was like, I know I could do all of that. I said, but I can't build a website. I have no idea how to advertise it. I, you know, We'd have to charge people money. Oh, my God, that means we've got to take money. I don't know how to do that. And I said to him, could you do all of those bits? And he was like, probably. And so um, and so that's what we did. And we launched uh, last a year last November, so before coronavirus, um, with our main stage management program, which is I say to people it's 10 weeks in length. You can do it faster if you want to, and a couple of students have right? I'll be honest with you, you know, I don't think it's ideal, because there's a lot of reflective learning as part of the course. And I ask students to blog. And I want them to really dig into it. You know, I give them so many resources uh, to learn about the history of stage management, if they want to, you know, I give them so many options of things you could dig away at, which, to be honest, most of my students want to do that kind of digging, they're that kind Mm -hmm. of but the the content is at a level similar to that you would get if you did a master's in the UK because it's based on what I used to teach it um, in in the first semester now clearly I can't offer you the practice clearly online though I say that who knows with zoom um clearly, <laughs> right that might be uh, your next goal <laughs> it might be my next goal but um the reason I was really keen to set it up and this was very very influenced by my experiences at Florida State was that uh it was the first time I taught anywhere where the students weren't all from white middle class backgrounds Because drama school in the UK, to be able to afford to go to drama school in the UK, you've got to be reasonably all right financially. And I'm not saying that was every student. It wasn't. Of course it wasn't. But you look at the demographic of drama schools in the UK and um, it's pretty, pretty similar. Pretty similar. Uh, Whereas at Florida State, because if you lived in the state of Florida, the tuition was uh, relatively, it wasn't free, but it was relatively cheaper than if you went out of state. So it was a much more mixed group of students, much more mixed group of students. And I really started to think about, and I always knew that drama school wasn't accessible for everybody, but it really made me think about it. And at the same time, my own son who is a stage manager, was at drama school in London, at Lambda. Absolutely the right school for him. Brilliant, brilliant school. But the amount, even with the government support, the amount of money I was having to put in every month, because living in London is very expensive, I realised that I went from being one of those academics who was like, oh, well, you know, saying to parents, oh, it's totally worth it in the end, to being the parent going, oh my goodness, 
he can't yep. pay his rent, you know. And I was like, this is crazy. I was like, there's got to be a way to make this more accessible. And I knew that doing it through an online platform, I could do that. And the courses that I run are all um, asynchronous. So you don't have to turn up to a Zoom class. So you can do them at your own speed and at your own time. And then you have tutorials with me to support you, which are at whatever time is suitable for you. Hence why sometimes I have to get up very early to talk to students in Australia and Singapore. Um <laughs> But I was like, it's no good saying to students, oh, yes, you can come and do stage management with me, but you've got to be available between six and eight every Tuesday and Thursday evening. That That's not inclusive. That's not helping right. people who got maybe caring responsibilities or they need to mm -hmm. go to work, you know. So most of my students, it, it has transpired um, happily, are the kind of students who've got some stage management experience but have never been taught it. So they've got enough practice to know what it is we're talking about. Brilliant. Great. Um, but they've, and most of my students are from, well, actually that's not true, but uh, a lot have been from Europe, um, uh, Portugal, uh, Spain, um, Netherlands, uh, where places where there's a lack of drama school training, because that's the other problem. That's the other thing about the exclusivity of drama school is that you've probably got to go to the UK or you've got mm. to go to America or you could go to Hong Kong. That would be another option. Um, but, you know, or, or Australia. But actually, there are there are lots and lots of countries where there are no drama schools. So we talk to two people in Italy. And they said, yeah. yeah, basically they they there is no education for them there. Yeah. You got a music yeah. degree and then you just learn stage management. That's right. That's right. So that's where so my students are sort of master's equivalent, if you like, uh, which I think is I think that's exactly where it should be, really. Um, and by being a master's student, obviously, you know, totally um, uh, capable of working on their own, because that's the other thing about working online. It's not for everybody at all. You know, you've got to have a level of discipline and commitment to it. But I think they mainly come from countries where there isn't any stage management training, um, particularly. So we don't have hundreds of students. It's a niche market, you could safely say. Uh, <laughs> But it's, a, it's been a labour of love and it really is a passion project. You know, the only thing I've ever cared about was if you want to be a stage manager, you should be able to learn about it. You know, you I always, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I taught in drama schools, I was on day one, I would always say to students, you know, this is that I still think this is the best job in the world. Yes. And, yeah. do, do you know what I mean? That's still how I feel about it. And I, I, you know, I thought more and more about how, awful it would be for somebody who wanted to learn about stage management to not be able to do so and so this you know and I am not saying don't go to drama school you know if that is within your reach and you can do it then absolutely brilliant go smash it but as you two are probably very aware there's way less scholarships for things like stage management you know it's all right if you want to be a musical theatre star isn't it that's totally different um <laughs> right but you know, it just doesn't exist in the same kind of way. And I think a lot of drama schools are working really, really hard to um, make sure that they are as inclusive and diverse as they can be and want to be. But even still, three years is a big commitment um, 
for a lot of people. And so I'm just offering a different way. And in the future, this all went on hold slightly. What I'm what I'm hoping to be able to offer to people is if they were able to be in the UK for a certain amount of time, that they could come on a show with me. That would be man. Even I would jump on that. I'm not even a stage manager. <laughs> well, that was my plan. That was my game plan, Stacey. Uh, and that's what I intended to do this summer because I would have been doing a musical this summer and we have students on work placement. And I was like, we could do that. Yeah, that would work. And then coronavirus happened. So um, long term, that's my plan. Um uh, mainly because I've been pestered like crazy about it. I'm writing a new course that's about stage managing opera and musicals. Um, it's not about, it's not learning how to score read. I'd like to make that very clear. There are, there's definitely, well, there are other ways you can do that. Um, there are, there yeah. is some music following. Absolutely. So, you know, it, because I'm trying to uh, not put off people who can't read music, but it's much more about the process and that kind of thing. But that's um, that's been a labour of love. You can safely say, Ooh. Uh, <laughs> well, because we've done a lot of music and a lot of um, queuing bits and there's a lot of videos. Husband has been very busy. Very, very busy. God bless our busy husbands who help us in all of our endeavours. <laughs> If Andy hadn't have been willing, I couldn't have done it because financially I would have had to have made the courses so expensive to pay somebody else. Right. That, do you know what I mean? It just it yeah. just wouldn't have worked at then all. Then it would have been the opposite of what you were trying to do is make it accessible for people. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And I'm still, you know, I, I'm a total soft touch. You know, people message me and I'm going to talk to a group this week, actually, and I'm pretty sure they can't afford to do the course and I'm pretty sure I'll offer them some short version that I will do something for them because I'll be like, oh no, oh help. Uh, You're I like, want I've... you to do it. You seem to really I... want to do it. Okay, here, just have it. <laughs> I was just like, this will never make us millions, Antonia. And I'm like, yeah, I know, sorry. Um <laughs> But the full, I'd like to make it very clear that the full course, people absolutely, you know, don't want anybody that's paying for the full course to feel that I would give it away for free because it was too much work. Uh, no, but um, I do offer some support as well to, you know, especially young people that just, they just don't have access to the same kind of education. And I think that's, I think that's a really cool thing to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it because like you said, we're, we too were born and raised in white middle class, went to good high school, went to private university. So we understand that not everyone was privileged like that. There are plenty of people who had more money than us. There's plenty of people who had less money than us. Um, so yeah, it's great that other people can do it because yeah, why should they not be able to be a stage manager or in theater just because their parents had less money? Well, um, I don't know about you, but, you know, I have got so cross over things in, in this current climate. You know, people talk about digital education and you're like, it is not a catch-all solution. Online learning is not a catch-all solution. All kids are not equal in terms of what access they've got. Yeah. And I was talking with my son about it and he was like, oh, I think they should close the schools, man, because of coronavirus. And I was like, Tom, get real, mate. You know, <laughs> that you're imagining 
children who grew up in your kind of environment where no doubt I would have made them a desk and sat them down and, you know, stood over them and made a timetable and, you know, would have definitely involved some kind of post-it notes. Um, (laughs) Lots of colour coding would have been involved. Absolutely. But that's not not the truth for everybody, is it? And um, I think, you know, we're all much more aware of the world in which we live in now. And I think that's a really, really good thing. Right. We would have, you know, our mom was a stay at home mom. And so if schools were closed, we would have had our mom there 24 seven to help us. And I see now I work in retail during this time. And we've had a number of really good employees have to stop working because they need to be there for their children or they have children in elementary school and like their kids are now home. Like, what are they supposed to do? They can't continue to work. So, you know, yeah, it's it's. But you don't think about that when you're not raised in that situation or yeah. you're not around people in that situation. You just assume everyone's like you. So, yeah, of course. And it, you know, I just think it's not necessarily that what we knew was wrong, it's just we didn't know the full picture. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, like a lot of us, have been working really hard to educate myself more. And I'd seen, I'd like to say, I'd seen some of that story in Hong Kong. Because that, again, you know, very different situation for students in Hong Kong. Um, Many of them living in multi-generational families. You know, um, we had, students had like, um, oh, I can't think what we called it now, but like workstation. So everybody got their own workstation. Um, But unlike other places I'd worked, they really did need that workstation. They didn't have anywhere else to go and work. That was important that they had that. So I kind of seen part of that in Hong Kong. And then at FSU, it just really kind of compounded it because Mm -hmm. people were from very different backgrounds, you know, Um, but were so wonderful. Sorry, did I mention that? That was just, (laughs) it was a joyous nine months. It really was. Um, But yeah, you know, it's all been part of, and parcel of where I've got to now so you know uh, future plans is to teach more people and do more stage management that's really you know hopefully on zoom forever yes (laughs) hopefully in person though I do have to say I want I don't know how much of this I'm allowed to say but I need to put you in contact with Danielle Rano because she's she is writing a book on opera stage management. There is none that I'm aware of. I know at least in the United States that focuses on stage management in opera. And like you said, it's so different. And her publisher said, do you want to include things about how it's different in the UK? And she was like, not in this version because there's so much, you know, she's like, there's so much that I want to say about opera stage management. But I was like, maybe a second public, a publication or a second edition, you could put in those things. So if you're working on something, it would be so awesome to have that. I I have spoke to her. You just reminded me, but that was forever ago. Um, But yes, no, I'd love to speak to her again. I mean, as you can probably tell, I am a stage management geek. yeah you two would get along really really well because well and I I loved all that stuff that now I see and I can never remember her name uh Jennifer something something yeah thank you thank you (laughs) and all of that because um so Tracy Cattell who's the stage manager working in the UK she wrote a PhD that was published by the University of Warwick that's about the history of stage management um and then I discovered Jennifer through Erin Joy Swank who Mm -hmm. um also know and so I attended some of her webinars and sessions as well but I I love all of that I love all of that you know I just think it's so fascinating to know where we came from yeah <laughs> the, 
you know, absolutely brilliant. What's wonderful about Jennifer is her and I did shows together like eight or nine years ago now. She was ASM and we did shows in Long Beach. And then she met her husband there. He was on a crew with us. And then he uh and then they got married and then she decided to go back to school. And I was like, why? You need to stay as a as a stage manager. Um, you know, but now she's doing all of this wonderful stuff with the history of it. But yeah, I love that, you know, we work together and she was like, she loves stage management, but then she wanted to have a family and be a little bit more settled. And she was such a, a history geek, you know, like so many of us are. And she was like, this is what I want to focus on, but I still want to stage manage. And so, yeah, it's such a wonderful thing because that yeah. doesn't really exist in the United States either. So it's, well, I love I, all these people who are doing it. I think students should learn about the history of stage management. You know, I think Absolutely. it'd be way more interesting to learn about the history of stage management than other, some of the other history stuff. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very you true. Know, Google is your friend. You can find out the answers to some of the other things, but you you can't find the answers out to some of the stage management stuff. So um, I think, no, I, I just think it's fascinating. And mainly it has been joyous. Obviously not every day. That is not humanly possible. Um, but, but mainly it's been joyous. And then, you know, and then I had this kind of whole other adventure through teaching and through traveling and doing different things and but yeah I still I still think it's a brilliant way to earn a living yeah I think it's the best way to earn a living I'm rather fond of it myself (laughs) (laughs) when I tell people all the time especially in opera you know I'm like companies pay me to travel and listen to music for a living like it really doesn't get much better than that. Like it's, you know, I get to go to all these wonderful places and I sit here and I listen to music and I listen to world-class orchestra members and I listen to singers and I get to work with these artists that are top of their game. And like, people are paying me to do this. It is so awesome. It's so much fun. (laughs) So last year I uh, managed City of Angels um, at the Royal Academy of Music. Uh, So they have master's students, they're master's musical theatre students. And if you are an MA student at RAM, you're, you know, you're the best, really. You're one of of the best. Um, But the joy of the entire job, I mean, it was joyful anyway, but the joy of the entire job was the Zitz Probe. Because um, because it's the Royal Academy of Music, there were so many players in that orchestra pit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and myself and the director just sat in the auditorium and we were like, this is good, isn't it? And it's the most, <laughs> the most fantastic score. I mean, the score is phenomenal. You know, all of those big brass sounds just, and um, the guy who's the head of the course there used to be um, Cameron McIntosh's musical supervisor. So he is also wow. a conductor at the top of his game. Yeah. And just, just slightly and watching Dan coach the student conductors and coach the singers and I turned to the director and I was like we get paid for this and he was like (laughs) amazing (laughs) but there's there's been so many of those moments that Mm -hmm. that offset the moment when some actor is screaming at you in the wing you know to be perfectly honest isn't it like please don't want people to think it's all uh roses all the time because it isn't there's plenty of phone calls between me and cindy of her being like why i don't understand what's going on and why can't they just follow the schedule and why don't they read emails and yeah it happens (laughs) yeah 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 but there's but there's some crackingly amazing bits as well isn't there exactly yeah it balances it does it does totally and utterly totally and utterly 
We didn't have that part. We wouldn't do the rest. I think I'm missing the time. I'm missing. I mean, I'm fine for time, but I was a bit like, oh no. Like, no, we must do an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Most of our podcasts are like an hour five. (laughs) (laughs) But we, Stacey, just told me we are at time. It's so funny being the stage manager. Stacey's the one that always has to keep us on schedule. I, I, maybe because I get so excited about talking about this. And I take just, all the notes. Fun. I'm not sure why we even have Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> she she gets a lot of the people. I she find schedules, the people. She schedules the people uh, and makes the connections. And I do the notes and the write-ups and the, <laughs> the other this stuff. This is why we're twins. This is why it works for us. Valid. <laughs> So speaking of twins, our last question, and you said you came up with an answer. Do you have a twin story for us? Well, I had to work hard on this one. I was like, do I know I it's the hardest part of the uh, podcast. Oh, yeah, totally. And then I was like, do I know any twins? And then I was like, of course I do. I know a pair of twin stage managers. Yes. Oh, I don't think we know any of those. So I have to confess, I don't think either of them are stage managers now because they've moved into different admin roles in theatre. I'm pretty sure they both still work in theatre. Um, but so they're mirror twins. Um, so they are identical opposites of each other. And one of them was a student of mine and her sister went to another drama school to be a stage manager. They both didn't come to the same drama school. Very sensible. But it does mean on more than one occasion, when I've been at a function, the Stage Management Association Awards being the classic one, was when I walked up to the one I thought I knew. And I was like, hey, how are you? And this poor girl was like, I'm sorry, but I've got no idea who you are. (laughs) All the time. You think you're going crazy because you're like, your faith your faith and she was like no I'm Ruth and I was like oh you're joking me I think that did cause quite you know quite a lot of confusion for a lot of people so we're probably grateful that they're not both stage managers anymore but um, (laughs) they do look ridiculously alike I mean they certainly did when they were students they looked incredibly alike but uh yeah I was like oh no I I, I was like I haven't got a twin story and then I was like no I have and they were twin (laughs) stage managers so the UK did have a pair of twin stage managers but like I say I think they've I know for sure one of them the one that I know (laughs) (laughs) but I think my sister did as well so that's (laughs) I love that they went to different schools too because that probably would have been even more confusing if they're in the same school oh I mean it hurt our heads a lot just (laughs) the thought just the thought you know and like you know what it's like when you meet somebody's family and you can see the familiarity, you know, also at graduation, you'd never met these students, brothers or sisters or parents, and somebody would be walking towards you and you'd be like that, oh, right, yeah, you are definitely so-and-so. <laughs> um, but with with twins that were as identical as they were, that was just shocking. And I certainly got caught on more than one occasion. You'd think after the first time I would have realised. <laughs> nope. nope. apparently not but um yeah no they were brilliant they were both brilliant stage managers so um it was great but uh yeah I was like oh no I do remember now one particular occasion uh, when she was like the sister was literally looking at me like 
you are crazy. Um, <laughs> are you think it would happen more since they were both stage managers? No, they uh, we're used to it. If somebody yeah. comes up and just starts talking to me like I'm Cindy, I usually have enough knowledge of what Cindy's currently doing at the time to just answer. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. probably confuses them even more when they realize I'm not Cindy. But uh, <laughs> I don't know yeah. how many of them actually always get it, especially when she was out working at Long Beach Opera because I live in Long Beach. Uh, which is one of the reasons she came out to work out here. And so we would both work on the shows or she'd be working on a show and I'd stop by to bring a prop or something. And uh, yeah, most of them knew we were twins, but I'm sure some people didn't. Well, the ones that we worked with regularly, you know, but there was always different chorus members and different people yeah. in the office and they would get super confused, be like, I thought you were wearing a different shirt earlier. Or, I yeah, thought you were glasses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you had glasses on. <laughs> but... It sounds like fun. I'm not sure it necessarily is. No, but we love it. it. We're not sure our single kids <laughs> actually do it. You guys are missing half of your brains and all that. I'm not sure, but uh, because <laughs> we we share one, but right, I, you know. right. <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> fun. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been amazing to to learn about your. Learn about your life, but then learn about Bamboo Project and, and how you teach others. It's so wonderful. Makes sense. I have so many notes, Twin. You're, you're gonna, not that you read what the notes I take, but uh, <laughs> I write up the writing things most of the time. But yeah, I have a bunch of notes about all kinds of things, especially um, places and beginners. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, um, I hadn't heard that either. So, of course um, we knew, but places and beginners, I didn't know that one. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and so um, except our beginners is uh, five minutes before. So um, so if it's a seven thirty stop, because we do fake half hour, so we do mm -hmm. fifty five. So we do six fifty five for the half, seven ten for the quarter, seven twenty for a five, and then seven twenty five for beginners. Huh. Huh. <laughs> you make sure they get there. That was a real twin moment, though. <laughs> that was hysterical. That was hysterical. So, um, so yeah. But in essence, it's the same thing. It, it's, you know, it's the same thing. But I don't know why we fake the half hour and you guys don't. I've no idea why that's a thing. How, how, that, you see, they're the kind of things that fascinate me. You like, Do you guys actually start on the half hour? Because we tend to start five after the half hour. Um, we'll start as soon as we've got front of house clearance. So we will go as close as we can. As close. I mean, I, I would normally say if you go up two minutes late, you're probably, that's probably about an average. But, um, but yeah, at beginners, people are expected to come and be <laughs> stood in their places, uh, ready, ready to go. Um, but yeah, you know, and then there's, um, oh, what are the other ones? So we'd call it a fly floor. And you call it a rail, don't you? A fly or floor. We call it fly loft sometimes, but oh, oh, uh, we call it a truck. You call it a wagon. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, so you can see where that one came from. That's like okay, that makes sense. And then the one that I can never remember, so I might have to do, <laughs> I might have to do a diagram. Um, uh, I would call it a bar. You call it a batten, is that right? Oh yes. yeah, the ones that come down. Yes, 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 yes. So that one always tricked me. I'd be like a bar, a pipe, a, 
a thing, a thing. And the Americans would be like, we're not with you. And I'd be like, no, you know, the thing, the piece of metal. You pull the rope, it comes up and down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, um, yeah, we had some jolly moments with some jolly moments with that one. But yeah, bat- because a baton to me, that's a lighting thing. A baton is a collection of, was well, a really old bit of lighting kit where you've got several lights kind of connected together. Hmm. When they're one unit, that's that's what we call a baton. But oh, we call those yeah. drip lights or yes, drip lights, spike lights. So yes, like a spike light. Yes, yes, okay. that. Um. So yeah, the baton one confused me. Uh, what did they at FSU? Oh, see, I can't remember now. Maybe they called it the wagon house. That was like I would call it a scene dock off to the side of the stage where all you stack all your your furniture and props. Right. And that kind. But I think it's different in a lot of places because a lot of venues I've worked in don't necessarily have it. But yeah, none of the places it's just piled in the wings or it gets put in the shop or out on the loading dock or. Yeah, or yeah, I, yeah. I have yeah. heard wagon house before. Yeah. And then uh, we call it a get in and a get out. As you opposed to load in, load out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then, of course, the Australians call it a bump in, bump out, just to confuse the issue even more. <laughs> I like um, get out. I think I might start calling it a get out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get ins and get outs. Yeah, for sure. And then, and then there's, and then I did the one earlier, the tape out and a markup. So we would call it a markup. But we get told off here. So if you say, oh, if I say to a student, can you spike that? And then um, you'll get some older person go, oh my God, you're so American. <laughs> okay could you just put a mark on the floor where it needs to be thank you very much um whereas we do tend to use spike now i mean i think a lot of people use spike as the the word of choice you know now so you have infiltrated a little bit yes, um, success i'm not sure if that's the best but uh <laughs> oh no your tape is way better than ours yeah, we heard that about italy too that they don't oh, do yeah. paperwork in italy no, well, we because we use um uh, we use like uh p- electrical tape. Oh, yeah. Does that so, come up well or no? No, and it stretches like mad. And if mm-hmm. you're in a hot country, it's even worse. So I actually have my own supply of your tape. <laughs> <laughs> Does Rose Brand ship to the UK? You just <laughs> Amazon, Amazon. So yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So I just have my I have the cloth the colored cloth tape like you guys do because it's much better much better I mean that was the only time I had a total meltdown at FSU and um one of the TD students came to rescue me uh was when I had to teach uh tape outs in imperial to students who really didn't have a clue and I was like I literally can't my brain is going to explode now oh yeah because magic versus imperial easier it's so much easier and um this lovely masters td student cliff he was like do you want me to come and help you and i was like yes (laughs) i was like i can't so not my favorite thing to do anyway i'd always pass on a mark out somebody else if i possibly could um but the thought doing it in doing in imperial just my brain was about to explode i mean i i literally just couldn't so, so they were very kind to me that day the student <laughs> this is hard Antonia isn't it and it's like yes 
yes, it, it's very hard. I can't possibly do it. Um, so, yeah, so, of course, that's the massive difference. So that's really what separates um, stage management, just, you know, out of interest now, is the fact that American stage management is mainly done in places that have still use imperial. Whereas countries that use metric mainly do the British version. <laughs> so literally, so like Australia does British stage measurement and um, and uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan and Singapore and all of those Asian countries that are ex-British colonies um all mainly do British stage management. So I kind of tend to refer to it as you know stage management, uh, you know American stage management. And the rest of the world. There we go. Yeah, uh, we never. That's like pretty to common for us. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, no. So I, but I think I think it is one of the differences is the imperial metric thing, which is hysterical, really. But uh, there we go. There we go. Okay, is there anything you need from me? Uh, no, I think we're pretty good. I'll write up. Uh, hopefully sooner than I did last week's um, write up some stuff, send it out. Uh, we post on Facebook and Instagram and our webpage. I know people people have Twitter. I haven't figured out how to really get into Twitter. Um, but yeah, I'll tag as many people, places, hashtags, uh, whatever. But, but we send, send, yeah, you. we send it to you first for, for approval to make sure that, you know, it all makes miss- sense. I don't misspell someone's name or quote something wrong because as much as I'm trying to listen and take notes, uh, sometimes I fail. No, no, yes, I'd love to. Do, I'd love to do that. I'm pretty confident. I don't think I've said anything to offend anybody. So, yeah. um, and then I usually grab pictures off of the internet uh, because everybody has Facebook and Instagram and everything, uh, and we post, you know, a picture or two for. Of which, Stacey, you'll find hundreds of photos of me. So you'll be so fine. So much easier. Perfect. Sometimes, <laughs> I, sometimes it's really a pain to try to find some people. Well, and other I people, I'm like, yes, so many pictures. It's so much easier this way. I did this Instagram course, short course, where it basically said that the traffic through is because I pick up quite a lot of my students through Instagram. It's my main, apart from Google, you know, um, and my husband worked, my husband's worked really, really hard to get us up the ratings in Google. Um, but the other people really come to me from Instagram through the stage manager hashtag for sure. Um, and I read this thing. I got taught this thing that was like engagement was so much higher if it had a photo of you in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like, that through my, the company yeah. I work for. Yeah, three times the traffic if there's a photo of you. And I was like, right, well, I know. Luckily, of course, when it's yours, it does mean that you can delete the photos that you don't wish to use. So that's helpful, isn't it? You know, (laughs) that's what I figure. If you've posted it on your page as like a profile picture, then obviously you're okay with it. So it's okay if I use it. Now, if I yes, found it off of somebody else's page, then maybe you don't like it. But if it's on your page and you chose it, then you probably are okay with it. Correct. And and the, uh, that's what I work on as well. And the only thing I would say is, uh, as long as it's a fairly recent one, um, because I have had every hair color under the sun, and I think it is a bit confusing for people. Oh, and every length of hair. I've, I've had them all. So I try to... <laughs> try to stay up to date. At least to be recognizable to people. <laughs> <laughs> But any of the any of the newer ones are absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on to, so Instagram, do you have a twins podcast Instagram account? Mm-hmm. It's or twins. It 
It's twins. I I run the Twins Talk Theater, and then Cindy has one under Cynthia Hinnon Marino. Uh, right. And then on Facebook, we both have our own personal ones. Then we have a Twins Talk Theater one. Right. Okay. Maybe I've found it already. Oh, yeah. I found it already. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. I'm following. It's all good. It's all good. Excellent. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I am a nightmare. I love all the social media. It took my, yeah, even my kids. Like my, my, my kids are like, are you going to put your phone down? And like that. Oh, I'm just having a, just having a quick look at uh, something now. Um, <laughs> First thing I do in the morning, last thing I do before I go to bed. It's what I do. Yeah. Five minute break, walking somewhere. Yeah. But I just think it's amazing. I genuinely, and okay, you know, you've got to be in charge of it, haven't you? You can't let it take over your life. Yeah. But it's made a difference. You know, how amazing that we can all be in different time zones chatting now. You know, I just think the way our world exists has improved in amazing ways. And the way, the connectivity, because actually 30 years ago, when I was training to be a stage manager, um, the only other stage managers I knew were the people that were on my course. Yeah. You know? And and now through the year of the stage manager Facebook group and the young stage managers, the way some of them can reach out and ask questions. Um, and sometimes you're like, oh God, that's the 14th time you've asked that question. Please. <laughs> Go back and look at the other responses. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you do feel a bit like that, don't you? And sometimes... <laughs> I try to keep out of them. And then sometimes there's a whole massive British American collision going on. And I'm like, oh God, no, I'm going to have to interject in the middle here and say, <laughs> American and one of you British, because this is why you have a difference of opinion on this. Um, but, but I think it's incredible that all of those things are available and, and that young stage managers can feel like they're not on their own. Mm -hmm. Well, just That's in general, the I know, Everybody who I've worked with, what show they're doing, um, what song they're learning, what theater they're working in, who just got on Broadway, who just started a new company, and even just news. I know what, you know, the Duke and Duchess just went to a show in London two nights ago. I've seen all the pictures. <laughs> like, Delane <laughs> is the DSM for, and um, oh, we're all so excited because. We knew um, we've been doing Friday morning get togethers um, uh, through the Stage Management Association, which is how we call it a tea break. So on a Friday morning, mm -hmm. we do a tea break together. And, um, and Elaine is a, uh, she's a career DSM. She doesn't want to be a stage manager. She's an amazing show caller. And she's done the Palladium, the London pantomime, that pantomime several years in a row. And um, and we were like, is it happening? Is it happening? And she was like, I'm crossing everything. I'm crossing everything. And uh, and then and then she's doing it, and it's phenomenal. So it's so exciting. It's yeah. so exciting. So like as yes. soon as it happened, it was all over my Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> Pictures of them there and standing on stage and walking the carpet and what they wore and who did what and yeah, within seconds I knew all about it, which is super cool because I I really like that kind of stuff. So it's great that I can. I know about it immediately. I think I think it's I think it's great. I I love it. I love it. I'm just maybe possibly a little bit too attached, but never mind. <laughs> it's fine. And now I've been home for over a year. I've slept in my own bed, which has never ever happened. I think Cindy probably has the same issue. I'm surprised no. she hasn't gone crazy yet. I I yeah. I got to leave for two, two weeks, but besides that, yeah, this is the longest I've I've been in New York City. The longest I've been home. 
it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, my husband is like, oh my God, you still here? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, it, and it's great. It's not, you know, I'm not, it, it's fine. It's just weird. It's, it's just, just yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. But I, right, I'll let you go now, but I will tell you a funny story. So we bought these beds when we lived in Hong Kong and we bought this new apartment and we decided to have all new furniture. And so we'd never seen them. But we bought them and they got them delivered. And then we moved back from Asia. And it was like, it said it was a firm mattress and it was the softest mattress in the entire world, right? And I was like, oh God, I can't live with this. I can't live with this. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And I was being a total diva about the whole thing. And we were going to go on a mini break. We were going to go on a little holiday. And then we decided we'd go and see about a new mattress. And the new mattress, the one we chose, was the same as the cost of going away to Europe for three days. Okay. It was that, it was that, it was that expensive. And it arrived and it's, it's so, you know, it's beautiful. It's solid. But I bitched and moaned about it like crazy that I'd spent all this money on a new mattress. Now I'm really not regretting my choices now <laughs> that I was going to sleep in it. <laughs> very, very true. In the end, it was worth it, but um, <laughs> there's an upside to coronavirus is that I have, you know, feel like the cost per wear situation is better. <laughs> For your mattress. <laughs> yeah, how crazy is that? How crazy is that? <gasps> Brilliant. Well, look, let me know if you need anything or you want me to, if you were like, oh God, what is she talking about there? Just ping me an email. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I'll answer you straight away if I'm not asleep because I'm always attached to my phone, um, and uh, and it was lovely. It was. I hope. I hope you're happy. I hope it. Will oh be yeah, okay. this is so amazing. Oh, it makes really? me miss miss Europe even more. Uh, <laughs> actually, do you know what? It makes me miss America. Actually, I <laughs> I just fell in love with the the students at Florida State and a lot of the people. You know, I made some brilliant friends there. Some amazing colleagues. I just couldn't have stayed in Tallahassee. <laughs> it was it was an amazing thing to do, and it will always have a super special place in my heart. But if I was going to come to America again for a longer stint, it needs to be in a bigger city. Because, <laughs> you know, thank thank God, thank God, there was a Starbucks across the road from my office because really there wasn't anything else. You know. <laughs> Right, you had to go three hours for IKEA. So yeah, Correct. I got Correct. two IKEAs within thirty minutes of me out here. <laughs> Do I want to go north or go south? <laughs> and I, I tell you what, I found really weird, Stacey, was I've always lived quite close to the sea, so I felt incredibly landlocked. I was like, "Where's the water?" Where, mm -hmm. Which is funny where's... because Florida has more water than most of our states, but Tallahassee is way up north right north yeah. yeah it's way up north so you had to yeah. go to jacksonville tallahassee is really south georgia is really mm -hmm. what tallahassee is i i now know um should have looked at the map more carefully before i said yeah. yes um but i did i missed being and like if you drove to um panama city or St. George, you know, there's beautiful water there. But I, like, in the morning here, I put my running kit on and I run down to the sea and I run back again. So I just, I found it really weird to be so far away from the ocean. That was, like, that wasn't a good thing. But I know I, I love America. I I love mainly Americans' enthusiasm for life. 
clearly not all of them, but <laughs> the, ones I'm, the ones I'm friends with. Amazing. Whereas British people are like, that, oh, what? You want to do what? Uh, where Americans are more like, yay, let's go do it. And uh, I... I much prefer that, but um, you can you lot can sort your presidency stuff out first. Let's, let's hope we can sort it out. We're still working on it. I know, it's not done, but it's soon, isn't it? The electoral college has it's to supposed declare to be this week. Yeah, it's already been unofficially declared like five hundred times, but it hasn't officially been written down and officially casted votes and whatnot yet so annoying it's ridiculous uh, i i mean we, i've we always had a queen any day <laughs> i've always had an interest in american politics um but th this has taken it to another whole other level there's a really amazing bbc podcast called americast um which is two of their lead uh, reporters every week and it got to a point in in the election week they were going to do two episodes and then they ended up doing like four episodes because they were like, oh my God, we're going to have to come back tomorrow. Um, <laughs> what uh, drama's happening yeah. now? Yeah, it's just, it's never ending over here. It's ridiculous. It's, yeah. And it changes almost hourly. Every time I think I know what's going on, all of a sudden there's like a new report out, you know, and it's. Yeah, and I'm still like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I was just before I'd even got out of bed this morning because I'd read on Twitter an, an article that was, in I think in the Washington Post, this guy saying that Dr. Jill Biden should Jill Biden yeah. shouldn't use the term doctor. So I was I was screaming at my phone, going, "What the fuck?" Before I'd even made it to any coffee this morning. Yes. I, was like, <laughs> yeah, what I, is going I, on? I don't understand yeah. half of our country. So yeah. I love you guys, but half of you are batshit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we agree. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep hoping like survival of the fittest will like weed people out, but it's taking such a long time. Like weed them out faster. <laughs> Come on. Come on, evolution. Work with us here. <laughs> just, these people for us. Yeah, no, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. Well, I'm crossing everything for you. It, it will happen. It will happen. Come on. Thank you. It will. We, we, it yeah. will. We're hoping so too. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to have some supper because it's clearly evening here. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Antonio. I'm, hopefully we'll talk soon. And thank you yeah. so, so much. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. No, it was brilliant. It was, so, it was really good fun. Thank you so much for asking Yay. me. It was brilliant. <laughs> keeps us sane during these times <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely have a lovely rest of your day thank you for listening to today's podcast for more visit our website at twinstocktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on itunes or google play music you can also interact with us on facebook or instagram at twinstocktheater Auto music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.